Welcome to Fashion Designers Get Paid, a podcast for burnt out fashion designers who want to ditch the toxic rat race, say bye-bye to backstabbing bosses, and work with brands who value and respect them. I'm your host, Heidi, and I believe that you can do things differently in your fashion career. Because the truth is, most industry jobs will underpay and overwork you, and having your own brand is far from profitable. Let's also be honest, most of them fail. So if you actually want to, well, be a fashion designer and get paid, the best way to do it is as a freelancer. Now, maybe you've been told that brands don't accept remote freelancers or that freelancing means being an exploited temp employee working full-time without benefits. Or to work freelance, you have to be a rock star expert with all the skills from design through development. I'm going to show you that it is possible to be a real freelancer in fashion, work remotely with brands you love, and make money, even if you're terrified you don't have all the answers. You got this, and I'm here to help you do it. Do you have any idea how many nuances go into being a freelance fashion stylist? I did not, but there are so many. You have to think about your niche. Like print is very different from commercial and scripted shows are very different than reality TV and personal shopping is very different than personal styling. You have to learn the basics of business and negotiating and budgeting and logistics and learn all the nuances of getting the clothes to look just right using some magical trickery like double-sided tape or even weights. My guest today is Darshan Gress, who's been a freelance stylist for over 25 years and has worked on shows like Project Runway with Nina Garcia, styled many seasons of The Top Chef, and done projects with Gary Vaynerchuk. She's also recently expanded her business to do more personal styling, working with high-level executives from fashion designers to multi-million dollar business owners. Darshan shares all of her tips on how to get started as a freelance stylist, her best strategies to get more clients, and so many other intricate nuances she's learned from her long career. If you want to be a freelance fashion stylist, you're going to love this episode of Fashion Designers Get Paid. Let's get to it. Hey, real quick, before we jump into the episode, if you're sick of being tied to a desk and want more freedom in your day, I want to help you. Snag my free limited time training, How to Freelance in Fashion, even if you're terrified you don't have all the answers, to learn my five-step freelancing framework so you can work for yourself in fashion and get paid. Get instant access at soheidi.com slash freelance. We'll link it in the show notes. All right, now let's get started. You know, I think a lot of people, when they think of fashion stylists, um, whether freelance or not, they don't think of business and success and all of that. And I think one of the keys to being successful and maintaining a career as a stylist is to treat it like a business. So yeah. this, it's, it's an honor to be with you today. Like, how do you feel people treat it? Uh, well, I mean, most understandably, most stylists are uber creative. Um, and so the business skills oh, that you need okay. to be successful and sustainable sort of go out the window. I, mean, I see I, what you're I'm, saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So then talk to me like how you must have some business savvy or you've at least been like really conscious because you've been doing this for 27 or something years, like a really, really yeah. long time. Oh my gosh. That just put more gray hairs on my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think, you know, I have been doing it a really long time and for sure the industry has evolved, changed as well as my career, but I was super calculated at a young age. I, you know, when kids were in junior high and high school and asked, what do you want to do for a living? You know, and they said, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a dancer. And I wanted to be a stylist. Now I learned at a very young age, it was just a weird fluke. I overheard an interview about a costume designer in a wardrobe department of a TV show that I absolutely loved at the time. Mm. And I was sitting on the couch with my dad and I was like in awe. They were doing a behind the scenes interview 
uh, of the wardrobe department, I was like, oh my God, people get dressed for TV because at the time I had no idea. Of course, I was a teenager. I loved to go through the pages of YM and Seventeen and I loved fashion, but I had no idea there was a career in that. So all of a sudden it was like, that's what I want to do. I want to dress people on TV. So that's sort of what gave me the momentum to actually pursue it as a career. Um, so I was really calculated about that's what I want to do. I want to dress people on television. My career definitely took some ebbs and flows. I also really uh, got my career and my hands wet early on in the runway, fashion runway world. That's kind of what stepped my foot into the door of styling altogether. When I was in high school, I was one of those uh, at a local level. So please, anybody <laughs> listening, know that I'm not claiming that I was a past model. But I did all those back to school and prom fashion shows at the local mall outside of the Washington DC area. And I met the stylist of those shows. And I, I don't know where it came from, but I had this like business mind. And I went up to the stylist and said, can I come in before my fitting or on different days when you're working with other models and help you just to learn? And that's what got my foot in the door of working on runway shows. So it really was the first kind of styling that I understood. And I'm so grateful because, uh, it, it, you know, everything is creative. There's different niches in, within the fashion styling industry. But in terms of doing a runway show, it's all about organization. Mm -hmm. There's the creative part, but the organization part is unbelievable. It's a, it's a huge process. And so I think I approached a lot of my future jobs from that mindset. And it was really helpful because you uh, really have to be super organized to be a fashion stylist. Cause that's another, you know, a, a business skill, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and people don't necessarily think about that, but if you're a hot mess and you're so disorganized, but you're really <laughs> creative, then you're either going to have to figure it out on your own or hire somebody to keep you organized because there's so many moving parts to any niche of fashion styling. And so yeah. you have to stay super organized. I think that's the number one thing when I'm interviewing an intern or a PA on a TV show is what they're called production assistants or okay. an assistant. Organization is my number one question because if somebody's like, eh, I'm not really organized, then eh, you're not probably not. It's not going to work. It's not going to yeah. be great for my team because that's, yeah. it, I'm, I'm so organized. Like that's, yeah. Yeah, I have done my fair share of photo shoots and runway stuff. And yes, you need a binder with a shot list and a spreadsheet and everything mapped out, like outfit by outfit, page by page, like step by step, the rack all organized in order, like yeah. changes, everything. Um, I get it. I'm also like a super organized person. So I, I totally live and breathe that. Um, I just, from a personal curiosity perspective, were yeah. those... Uh, I know you did some runway stuff at Nordstrom's. Were you, were those runway shows at Nordstrom's uh, back when you first got started? When I first got started, I actually did do a few where I was the model for Nordstrom shows. Okay. I did as a kid too. Oh, really? Yeah. There was, there was actually in the area, I grew up in Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, DC, about 20 okay. minutes outside of DC. Okay. Um, and in, at that time, there was actually a department store called Woodworth and Lothrop. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's no, totally yeah. gone now. Um, but it was, uh, I think, equivalent to like Saks, if you will. It was, it was not super high-end, but it definitely wasn't, I don't want to say Macy's and be offensive. Sure. Not that Macy's isn't 
good enough, but it was definitely higher price point. And they had a fashion advisory board uh, that they interviewed people all across multiple counties in the Washington DC area. It was based in their hub store in Washington DC. Uh, and it was a, a not, I don't wanna say a grueling process, but you had to submit papers, you had to submit recommendations, go on interviews. And I was in high school. And they took one representative from every high school in that sort of surrounding area. So there was probably about, I'd say, I I have no idea. I don't want to guess, but I would say about 30 to 40 of us on the board. And you sat on the board one for a whole year and we did multiple things. It's where I met actually Kathy Horn, who I don't know if you know, she's an amazing writer. At the time she wrote for the Washington Post in the fashion section. Um, but I met all these people who come in from the fashion industry and sort of educate us. And so yeah. that was sort of like getting my feet wet just about the fashion industry. But then we also did fashion shows where I'd model in the shows. So, okay, and, gotcha. that, and through that, I met a couple of the stylists that produced them. And then they would do other shows that were those big mall shows where it was like multiple stores and yeah, yeah, and I'd have to audition and do all that, you know, but I loved it. I I'm loved like, being on the runway. Do they still do I'm, those shows anymore? I think they do. And funny enough, I mean, I, in the, in, you know, it's been a while, but they used to bring me on as a guest commentator for some of the shows. Like, I remember, you know, like YM Magazine would do a show and they'd want uh, a quote unquote celebrity stylist when I was doing more celebrities and I'd yeah. go and commentate the show. And it was always so full circle for me because I was like, oh my God, I used to do these back to school shows. <laughs> I'm not that tall. I'm really not a model, everybody. I do not oh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm five, four, but I did like these really casual little Nordstrom shows when I was like five yeah. or something. Like I just remember like kind of being on that little runway. It was just like in the kids department. So I was just yeah. curious if that was like maybe the same type of thing. Um, Okay. So you got your start like in high school, you asked if you could get a little bit more involved and you met some people and learned about organization and all that stuff. Like when did you, or how did you initially break into the TV styling world? I know you've done some big celebrity stuff. Like how did that all kickstart? Well, there was a couple of stages in between going from high school to TV. Yeah. Uh, I went off to New York for college. I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology, FIT. Okay. Yep. Um, and that was like a massive dream all throughout high school. Like I wanted to move to New York City and go to that school. And so it was such an honor. And still today, I feel like it's a privilege to say that I went there. Um, and throughout the time while I was in college, I continued to network. I mean, I think if there's anything I can say, networking is king mm-hmm. in terms of getting ahead in your career. I mean, it's great to have a huge social media following, but really word of mouth and networking is the number one. I mean, it's kind of how we met. I know you said LinkedIn, but it's actually yeah. through somebody that I used through to work with. Through a mutual with friend. And yeah. Say, exactly. Uh, and so I, while I was in college, I, I did everything. I volunteered for every little thing I possibly could just to get in the room with industry leaders, whether it was a fashion stylist or a fashion designer or whoever it was. And that way I could really get my, you know, I just being in the room with those people, you just, you're kind of a fly on the wall, if you will. Uh, And then eventually my last year in school, I did an internship and that is 100%, I think the most valuable experience anybody could do 
to get your foot in the door in terms of styling, assisting or interning, depending on your level. Mm -hmm. um, I interviewed at so many different places and there's a, so many stories I could tell you about the places and how it came about, but I ended up uh, interning at the VH1 wardrobe department. It was very small, the VJs there. VH1, yeah, yeah, wow. Is VH1 still on? I don't even know. Oh, I don't even, oh. I'm not sure. You just like took me back to my childhood yeah. though. Yeah, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I can't even remember the names of the people that were on there. Anyways, uh, yeah, it was, I was the only intern for that one semester that I did it. There was the fashion director, my boss who hired me. And then there was, I think, an assistant stylist and a wardrobe supervisor. So literally there was a staff of three and then me. And I was, you know, I, I have to say that internship really was like, I don't even think something like that exists anymore because yeah. within a week of me being there, my boss put me in a car, a taxi to go pull, pull clothes at a store for the VJs. I mean, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Thinking about, about the opportunities that she gave me, which were so amazing. I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I would never do that with an intern because I wouldn't trust them as much, you know, but yeah. I definitely presented myself as like an old soul at a very young age. And so she really trusted me. And that really is what kick-started my career and because I was there people started to talk like she started to talk to people about the job that I did and it just sort of opened doors to the next job very first styling job where I actually was hired as the stylist was because she recommended me mm. uh, it was an ad campaign for a company that I'm sure no longer exists called JG Hook uh, okay. and it was before social media but and, and I'm, I still to this day regret this there were billboard campaigns in Times Square. I have no footage of this. This is in the 90s. Oh, no. I mean, that was my very first paying job. Now, I have to say, I had absolutely no place being hired for that job. The woman that ended up assisting me, and I, I as a weird fluke, had a friend of a friend who was an agent. And I didn't even know how to get an assistant. Like, that's how green I was. And I ended up hiring somebody that was recommended from this agent. And I remember being on that job and, and I had done my research, you know, what you bring and whatever, but I literally, I don't know if at that point I'd been on a photo shoot yet. Mm. I was asking her questions. I'm sure she was like rolling her eyes going, who is this girl, this child? Because believe it or not, it was this, my internship was the first, the fall semester. And that job was the, the spring semester. It was the one day in my entire college career that I took off from college. I took a day off. My professors approved it because I was getting paid a pretty penny as a college student to shoot this ad campaign. Uh, but yeah, I had no place doing that. And I learned very quickly. I'm like, I need to learn. I need to assist people. Like I realized, and, and I, I, the job came to me. I didn't present it as if I could do it. It sure. just came to me. Yeah. And I'm very grateful because it pushed me way past my comfort zone, but it definitely was something that was like a red flag, like, okay, you need to assist to understand certain skills. Like, mm. I know I can do it, but I don't know the skills. And I mm. think that's so important right now, right? Because I think there's a big trend within styling where anybody can do it. And you I'm just not have to like that, put together a great outfit or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of people telling people that love to dress themselves, you could be a stylist and you can just walk out the door and do it. And yes, you might have the skills inside of you to do it, but you don't have 
the structure and the knowledge to actually perform the job. I mean, there was like just key things. I, 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 I spent a fortune, I remember on that job, stocking my styling kit because I didn't have a kit. You know, every yeah. stylist has a kit. And that's not just the, the extra shoes and bras and underwear that you bring on a job. It's also, uh, you know, anywhere from double stick to scissors. But then there's also, there's like, a, there's literally hundreds of things in my kit that I probably use once every two or three years, but it's in my kit. And I don't need it for my personal clients, but I need it for these like big jobs, like weights, for example. I don't need weights when I'm personal styling a, a private client, but you need weights if you're gonna be shooting out in the field and the wind is blowing, you need to know how to keep that down. That's your job. That's not the photographer or the director's job to figure out how the movement of the clothes is gonna go. And that was actually something that happened on that job where, something was flailing and I was clueless and the assistant was like, I've got weights in my kit. And she showed me how to like, and drag she knew way and more than like, you. I was like, Oh my God. And I, here I was thinking I brought this. I mean, I, I think I spent like $500 as a college student on a kit and yeah. brought in and that, that bag, I still have the physical bag. Um, but yeah, anyways. So, so beyond like the aesthetic side of it, like making someone look beautiful, right. And or presenting this outfit in whatever way it's the logistics of how do we ultimately get the photo or the video or the piece of material that we need and the clothes are going to look right. Given the environmental variables, right. You're not always shooting in like a controlled studio. Um, So do you feel like that's the biggest component of like, it's not just the clothing, it's these nuances. And I have like styled flat lays and like, it's hard to get those clothes to look good laying flat. You don't just throw them down and they look yeah. great. Um, yeah. You feel like that's, those are some of the biggest nuances? I mean, there's, they're just, I think it's a big part of it, mm-hmm. but I, I hate to go back to the business side of it. I think mm-hmm. the number one thing, because I have plenty of friends within the circle of, you know, fashion editors, stylists, celebrity stylists that have come to me and asked me literally things that I'm like, how do you not know this? And they're all related to business mm. negotiating, mm. like just, you know, and, and a lot of that you can learn. And I actually coach other stylists. I love doing it because <sighs> it's, it's a passion of mine. Uh, I, I think, how do I say this? I think that having a good eye is kind of innate. Yes, you can learn certain things and you can learn what color combos work Mm -hmm. well and you can learn body types and how, you know, a larger bust looks better in this versus that. Mm -hmm. You can learn those things. But in terms of having a good eye and good taste, I think you either have it or you don't. Mm -hmm. And so, so there's, if we sell that part of it, the other part is understanding the business aspect. I cannot tell you how many people get into these, you know, jobs and they're good friends of mine and they're, they're, you know, by resume way more successful than me, like celebrity styles. Mm. And they're calling me and going, Oh my God, I'm in the middle of this job. And I don't know what to do about this budget crisis. And I say, Mm. before you started the job, did you have this conversation about X, Y, and Z? And they're like, no, I didn't think to do that. Now, keep in mind, usually that's somebody that's not repped by an agent. I think that's one of um, the things that's different about me at the level of some of the things that I've done. Most of my friends do have agents. Uh, I, okay. I, have a, I have a secret agent. I, one of my best friends is actually an agent. And so over the years, 
she has been my lifeline to helping me with certain things. But even, you know, she doesn't do TV. She does more fashion editorial and advertising. And so even what I do, and she's like, oh my God, you're, you're a shark when it comes to negotiating. And I'm like, I have to, because I've learned these lessons over 25 plus years where if you don't say it before you start the job, the client doesn't owe you a daggone thing. Yes. We would think, well, that's not realistic. They should know that they're supposed to pay for that. No, if you don't have it in writing, they can stick it to you. And if you're on a job where they didn't provide you a credit card and a cash, and you're actually using your own resources, because that's usually what a lot of, I hate, uh, freelance stylists do. They put their own credit card down if they're buying anything, and then they get reimbursed after they turn in an invoice. Mm-hmm. But if you did not negotiate something, you, a lot of times the production company or the person you negotiated with is going to say, I didn't agree to that. I'm not paying for all those meals. I'm not paying for your assistance to take taxis or whatever it is, you know? So, so yes, getting back, that was very long winded answer no. too. Yes. I think that uh, the styling aspect of it, the creative aspect is one part of it, but the business side of it, which I think is the missing link to most people's success because they're, I mean, there's, there's stylists that are way more creative than me. I'll just say it at that, Mm -hmm. but yet I've stayed in the game way longer than they have. And they've turned to me and go, you know, because they don't understand about finances and budgeting and things that are kind of life skills. I mean, a lot of the things that I teach other stylists or coach other stylists on, um, could be applied to almost any, well, could be applied to almost any creative field, but also to any just life skills, you know, mm-hmm. because I think there's a lot of, I think this generation, I feel like, and I hope, and I'm praying that they're a little more savvy to staying in a budget and understanding mm-hmm. about finances. And especially as women, like understanding that, because that's sort of been what, you know, the other person did. And <laughs> I've always said, your financial freedom is like the stepping stone to your, your creative career. Because if you feel unstable in your finances, you're going to make decisions based on the fear and not based on, is that job actually right for me? Yes. Yes. It's a lot of the same stuff I teach my students as well. Um, getting started in freelancing is like, you can have, and I, I know these people too, the super creative people that are like not doing that great. And then the people that are like, they're good enough. And they're crushing it because there's this like business and marketing strategy behind it. So to, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, I mean, because I don't really understand the nuances of like styling, being a freelance stylist. So like you talked about most, of, a lot of people, you know, work through an agent. You've got, you're not through an agent, but you're, you've got one in your back pocket to, I guess, just help you negotiate some stuff or just run things by like just someone to as like a touch point. Um, but how does it typically work as far as like getting the gigs and then just some of the more nuanced logistics of being a freelance stylist? Yeah. So I, I think even if somebody is repped by an agent, they still consider themselves a freelance stylist because the agent, in my opinion, A, is not taking out taxes. There's that. But also the agent is um, not guaranteeing them full-time employment. There is no mm-hmm. guarantee. Mm-hmm. The agent is just bringing clients to them potentially mm-hmm. and negotiating your clients 
that really is what the number one thing I think is the negotiating and then going after the clients for the money, the invoice mm-hmm. and, and that and the follow-up. Uh, collecting. Okay. Yeah. Which, which, you know, I've had, there have been moments in my career where I, I was on the fence, like, okay, I need to get an agent because the kind of level of negotiating I'm doing is so big Mm. and you're selling yourself when you're negotiating, you're talking about you. And that can be very painful. I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, there's the, the thing is, is that I am, you know, the bulk of my career over whatever many years has Mm -hmm. been uh, dressing the hosts and judges of TV shows. So that's a, you know, a niche. Oh, that I that's your niche to. hosts that's, and judges yeah, of TV shows. I love judges. that niche. So, yeah. And, and it just happens to be the title happens to be costume designer because most of my shows are union. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, it's funny. I just came from a, a meeting at my costume designers guild and I'm sitting in the room with Oscar winners and Emmy winners and there's me. And I'm like, I do not compare myself to these people, although I do sometimes costume design what you would naturally think as a costume. And I do create and work with illustrators and build. That's not my niche. And I I should clarify, I really like and have always wanted to dress real people. So when I, you know, at that early age and said to my dad on the couch, when I saw the behind the scenes and said, I want to dress, you know, people on television, I didn't realize in that moment the love of what I do is styling and it's styling real people. Mm. I, I actually don't enjoy, it's odd to say with this title of costume designer, doing costumes. That's not, I like dressing elevated, fashionable people, both men, women, all shapes and sizes, but really telling a story. And that's where the costume design aspect comes in because I do, I have incorporated that part of it into my personal styling and with the people that I work with on television, clothes communicate so much before you even open your mouth. And yeah. so it's, it's all about branding and, and getting to the point of who somebody is before I even step foot in a store. So getting back to your question. <laughs> so the thing is, is that, you know, for personal styling, no, there's no agent that's repping sure. that I'm aware of a personal style. Sure. But in terms of agents for for costume designers, agents for, you know, fashion editors and things that are um, print ads, commercials, et cetera. Yes, there's agents for that. The thing that, you know, I, I referenced some of my friends that were uber successful, but didn't stay in the industry. Some of them had agents and there was this assumption that the agent was going to bring work to them. Mm-hmm. And I always said to them, when you're not working, your job is to go out and get work. You can't assume that your agent's doing that for you because if your agent is repping 20 other stylists, guess what? They're kind of busy. Mm. And, and I, you know, there has been a shift. I will say 20 years ago, I think, you know, I, when I first, over 20 years ago, when I first got in the business and I was assisting a couple of stylists, I do feel like agents worked in a different way. They were bringing clients to the stylist. Okay. I think that has shifted a lot because, I don't know if the work is far and few between the budgets are smaller. I don't know what it is, but I find that most agents are simply just negotiating for you as opposed to bringing you new clients. So if you put all your eggs in one basket and you're working with a client and you're shooting the catalogs for, you know, Neiman Marcus for years and years and years, and that client goes away and you haven't developed relationships with other clients, Mm -hmm. you, you, your, your work is going to slow down. And so 
um, that's one thing that I think is important as a freelance stylist is understanding there's, there's so, once again, there's so many levels. It's not just being creative. There's the sales aspect of it, which no one wants to talk about because <laughs> I hate thinking of it as sales. I also hate thinking of it as the word networking, but that's what it is. I'm, and for me, networking is building relationships. It's maintaining those relationships, like the person that introduced us. Granted, this is not a job, but like I've maintained relationships with people for over 20 years and they open doors for me, yeah. whether it's an opportunity like this to be able to talk to you or yeah. have, you know, I, I stay in touch with them and I have, and it's not about being slimy. It's not like, and I don't wait until I need something. I can yeah. see the relationships while I'm working, when I'm not working, because when you're networking, I think that's the other thing. Um, people assume that you're going to, you know, take two weeks or a month and you're going to send out all these emails and you're going to call these people and you're going to reach out to your friends or former clients or whatever. And by the end of the month, you're going to have jobs. No, guess what? <laughs> it's going to be six months from now. You're randomly going to get a call based on the work that you're doing this month. Because that's how it works. And that's why when you're working, when you're not working, you're continually having the conversations. You're continually checking in with people and maintaining relationships. It's, yeah. it's not slimy. It's, yeah. it's creating. And, and trust me, there are people in the industry that I have chosen not to maintain relationships with. They probably could have got me work down the road, but mm. I, didn't, I didn't personally gel with their personality. And I knew me maintaining a relationship with them was me using them for mm. work. And for me personally, that's not what it's about. I really yeah. want to have authentic relationships so that when I do get a call about a job and somebody's referred me, I can trust that I can call that person that referred me and say, what do you think about the person that just called me about the mm. job? You know what I mean? But if you're like on the fence about the person you're networking with that referred you, they might go around your back and I don't know. It just, you just, yeah. So I love that you bring this up because I cannot tell you how many guests have come on and ultimately it comes down to relationships. And I like to think of it as like true, genuine, like friendships, right? It's like you said, if you're not really gelling with the person, like let them move on. We're not here to do this just for strategy. We're here to just like build some community and some friendships. And yes, that word network is like, ugh, right. But at the end of the day, it is, it, it does ultimately come down to like who you know and who you talk to and who you keep in touch with on a regular basis, like not just when they need something. So um, you don't have a huge presence online. I mean, you've got a simple website, you've got like 300 connections on LinkedIn. And I think your Instagram is like 1600 or I don't know. It's small. I don't even think it's that. Big. Okay. Well, like I, how do you maintain these yeah. relationships and friendships? Like, is it text and email, like just really one-to-one -one personal? So I have a couple of things to say about that. And, and, you know, I think I might've said it earlier on industry, marketing, networking, everything, social media, there was no social media back in the day. There was heck even five years ago. I don't think people treated it the way that they do now. Um, and I do think at this stage, I'm probably missing out on opportunities because I don't have a huge social media following. Yeah. But I will say this is that 
the career that I was building from the beginning was very strategic and I niched into very specific things that I wanted. And now keep in mind, there was no social media 25 years ago, right? but I did things that would lead to those opportunities. And I do believe strongly that if you are working towards, for example, being a costume designer on TV, I can tell you, I have not had one job opportunity because somebody found me on Instagram. No, that's not how it works. And I knew that over five years ago when people were pushing me. I mean, I I don't know if you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, but I worked with him on the very first Apple TV show. They had a show that tanked, um, pun intended. It was actually a a spinoff of, not a spinoff, but it was like Shark Tank, but for apps, like your phone apps. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It was called Planet of the Apps, and it was basically the same concept. Gosh, now over five years ago, I want to say around 2015, 2016, I worked with Gary Vaynerchuk. And if anybody knows, if your audience knows who he is. Most, uh, I think many will. Yeah. Digital marketing, get out on Instagram. My very first snap, he was like, what do you mean you're not on Snapchat? And he like filmed me and he was like, I'm doing it for you. And his, uh, his uh, videographer at the time, D-Rock was like, I'll set it up for you. I was like, don't knock your socks off because I, I'm not a text person. Like I definitely yeah. had Instagram. Um, and at that point, my Instagram, you wouldn't know I was a stylist. I yeah. shot pictures of food and posted pictures of food. And I <laughs> love food. I'm a diehard foodie. <laughs> I now have a foodie Instagram account for that. I don't really post that much, but I've now started to treat my Darshan Gress Instagram as more business fashion yeah. styling. Yeah. Anyways, you know, he was pushing me. I mean, I worked with him. We were together. We filmed and started, I think it was like two or three months of filming. And he was pushing, he was like, you need to be out there every single day. Mm. And I'm like, and at the time I only was pursuing TV work. And I'm like, that's not where my work is coming from. And I mm. do not have time. Like I need to invest in networking or wherever, you know, my time needed to be invested in on the job and cultivating relationships so that I could continue to work. And there was some truth to what he said. And I do regret not doing it a little more at the time, but I don't regret what I said to him. And I mean, we had, it was great because I know people pay a lot of money to get in the room with Gary. Yeah. I was one on, I was one-on-one with Gary and we gelled really well because he was like, you're a business person. I get it. Like (laughs) we really got along. Minus the football thing. He's a Jets fan and I'm not. Uh. But, but, um, but, you know, he said, well, what if one day you want to do something else? If you have this following, mm. you'll be able to spin it. There is truth to that. But we've all heard the story about those influencers that have a million followers and can't sell one t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it depends. I mean, now, yes. I am working more on my person with my personal clients. I've always had personal clients that have never been in front of the camera, uh, you know, a lawyer, a financial investor, whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe they get in front of the camera because somebody's interviewing them, but they're not TV people. Sure. They're just um, regular people. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a prerequisite to work with me <laughs> yeah. and it's definitely not a TV show that we're working on. Um, but, you know, with that, there's still high level clients. And I have to tell you, most of my clients, when I ask them, are you on Instagram? Nope. 
they're not. They are on LinkedIn. I, I know mm. you referenced LinkedIn. I know I that's a place that I think down the road when you know I have very strategic goals and time, and I literally only have so much time in the day, and I just yeah. right now don't have the time to deal with that. I do know and believe that there are clients there for me in terms mm. of personal clients. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that. I am starting to work on smaller ticket things, if you will, as a stylist, because there has been a lot of requests. I started to put things out there on Instagram and I would get DMs. I wish I could work with you. And and Mm. I am starting to get people that are requesting, well, how does it work? How much does it cost? And the truth is my services one-on-one is a premium service. It takes a lot of time. So therefore it costs some money. And I think people think, you know, it's going to cost a hundred dollars for three (laughs) weeks worth of work. Well, guess what? I'm not working for a hundred dollars for one day of work. So, um, so, but my point in all that is, yes, I don't have a big following, but my career, I have worked nonstop in terms of TV work, my entire career. Um, And, and, you know, it's been, such an honor and a joy to have people call me and to maintain relationships. I mean, I just had a call. Um, it didn't work out because my schedule, I was actually headed to Europe and, you know, a client that I've worked with for 15 years, a production company called me. Um, I had, of course, the second you plan a vacation, I had multiple calls. <laughs> that vacation. It was very painful. Yeah. But I said no to all of them. Um, so uh, but yeah, I do believe that, you know, in terms of finding work and finding clients, it, you have to really know what is your goal? What's your end goal? And where are those people? Where are those clients? Because if your end goal is, I want really high-end VIP clients, I'm not saying they're not on social media. And I'm not saying that it, it hurts you to put yourself out on social media. In fact, I think it's a good thing mm-hmm. if you have the time to do that. But you have to be calculated where you're investing your time. And you want to invest your time where your end goal is going to get you the fastest, if that makes yeah. sense. I don't know if I yeah. said that correct, but yeah. no, it does. We'll get back to the episode in about 20 seconds. But real quick, if you're scared to freelance in fashion without a steady paycheck, I want to show you exactly how to get a full list of clients so you can pay your bills and so you don't get your hopes up and then have to go right back to the fashion job you hate. I share it all in my free limited time training, how to freelance in fashion, even if you're terrified, you don't have all the answers. Get instant access at soheidi.com slash freelance. We'll link it in the show notes. All right, now back to the episode. So then like, I mean, I guess back to the, uh, where I was, but how are you like keeping, I just put it bluntly again, like how are you keeping in touch with these people over the years? And how are you getting some of these personal styling clients? Like how are you getting connected to these people? Is it just- Yeah. In terms of since it's not on these typical social platforms. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the the TV production clients, you know, there's many people that are involved when it comes to actually hiring me, whether it's the line producer, which is the title for sort of the money, the money person. Mm. They're usually the ones that reach out first initially when there's um, a show, a new show or a commercial or whatever. Um, But I'm sure that that conversation starts with the director not always, but more with the executive producers. So um, I, you know, the way I maintain relationships with anybody is I shoot quick hellos. I shoot uh, little texts or, or I'll go into their Instagram if I'm following them and they're following or whatever. And they make a comment, Hey, mm-hmm. how are you doing? I just mm-hmm. start organic conversation. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and I genuinely, I mean, and I will say, I genuinely think of certain people when something references 
you know, an outfit or something that I did on Project Runway or Top Chef I've worked on or any of those shows, if something rings a bell and I think of there's a particular line producer who I love and adore, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll shoot her a, shoot a message and, say, and she's not, she's actually at a company now that I've not worked with her for yet. Uh, I don't know if I ever will, but we maintain relationships because that's just how you do it. You do it once yeah. again, not yeah. when you need something. Yeah. In terms of the personal clients, I have to say, I think that every single one of my personal clients has come word of mouth. And so mm. I think it's important also, no matter what niche of the industry you're in, is telling your friends, telling people what you're doing mm. and what, your, what kind of clients you want. Mm -hmm. Because my best clients came because I basically said, this is what I'm doing. This is the kind of ideal client I want because I'm very strategic. I, you know, I, in terms of the clients that I work with, I don't want somebody to think of me as a personal shopper. Like I am a stylist. That is my heart. That's my soul. And yes, I do personally shop for people, mm -hmm. but I actually just turned um, somebody down um, who I would love to work with and she may come back, but she basically wanted me to, she was like, I don't need all that. I just need you to go out and buy. And she had a laundry list of the things that she wanted. Mm. And I was like, well, you want a personal shopper and I can do that, but that's not, that's not how my business is structured. So you have to figure out what you want, what your end goals are, mm -hmm. and then you network and you, you're really clear about that. Now mm. I am currently in the process of evolving a lot of what I work on because the bulk of my career has been in television. And, um, and over the last few years, as a weird fluke going into 2020, pre-COVID, <laughs> I already knew in, uh, it was like, no, I always set my goals for the next year around November. So mm -hmm. November 2019, I had started to write down my goals that I wanted to expand my personal styling clients because I love styling and I like working one-on-one -on -one with people. And then COVID happened. So obviously there was some breaks and, and things didn't happen the way I thought, but it actually was a blessing in disguise because it gave me the time to really, you know, submerge. Like I had already worked with personal clients over the years, but a lot of people would reach out to me and I'd be like, I don't have the time. I'm on a three month TV show. And then mm -hmm. I'd reach back to them after the three months and they'd moved on or forgot mm -hmm. or never responded or said, oh, I hired somebody else. And I was sort of sick of that pattern. Yeah. Um, and I also didn't have as much as organized as I am. And I definitely <laughs> had systems and structures of how I would work with personal clients. I didn't have it to a T. So I always got nervous every time I had to have a call with a client. And they're like, well, how do you charge? How do you do this? And I didn't have it as, um, as organized as I'd like. So over 2020 and into 21, I really got clear with how I work with my personal clients and I mm -hmm. came up with a system and, and, and it's kind of, it's funny. It's the thing that you've always done. You just didn't have it formalized. And so now <laughs> that I have it formalized for myself, I don't have that fear factor because it felt mm -hmm. like once again, I was negotiating, if you will, every time somebody would want to, mm -hmm. they would reach out to me, want to hire me and be like, well, what do you charge? And I was like, uh, you know, shell shocked because yeah. I didn't know how to, formalize it. Now I have no problems having clear conversations because it is what it is. It's my business and I'm not embarrassed about it. And I know embarrassed is probably a weird word to use, but I think people get really gun shy when it comes to money. They do. When it's not like yeah. I'm selling a box of like a physical product, but when yeah. you're selling a service, 
Yeah. Once again, usually service-based industries, it's, it's you. Yeah. And so I got really clear. And so with that said, I'm in this whole process and transition as I've continued, I've not stepped away from TV. You know, if the right opportunities present themselves, I still work on television shows. I just had um, Project Runway air the 20th season. I did that season and got to work with the editor. Yep, That's the editor-in-chief of Elle magazine. I was the costume designer for the show, but Nina was the person that I worked most with. Um, but, you know, I'm really expanding my personal clients and I'm in that transition. And so I probably will be upping my social media in some regards because there are some nuances to where those clients are. Yeah. And there's just different things. My website currently is, you know, I'm working on it and um, I hope by the time this actual podcast airs, it'll be a little updated <laughs> yeah. um, because people don't necessarily know that I work one-on-one with clients and yeah. I do, I have yeah. clients uh, all over. Yeah. Um, I don't think I had any idea the breadth of, I mean, I've, I've seen some stuff, but it's really amazing. You're touching like some really high level people in the industry. You're like, Nina, so casual. <laughs> No, I I mean, A, I adore her. Um, It's, you know, it has been such an honor. Also, you know, I I say that I'm a foodie, you know, working on Top Chef for so many years. I haven't worked on the last few seasons of it. Yeah. Um, But I started season one when it wasn't Padma as the host. I actually did the original host, Katie Lee. Um, But, you know, and I haven't worked on Top Chef for years, but I did a ton of their spinoffs. I did Top Chef Junior. I did yeah. Top Chef Masters, Top Chef, uh, I think it was called Duels. Like there's tons of spinoffs. And because I love food, it was like this perfect marriage for me. Like I was in awe. Like the fact that I know Jacques Pepin, and I don't know if you know who that is. I don't know. But what a legend. I, I have to say, I got street creds with my mom, my grandma who's <laughs> with us. She's, she's been gone for 10, over 10 years. And my grandmother, that was like, she didn't care anything about my career, but the fact that I worked with him, that was, and that's to show how the age that he's at, he worked with Julia Child. So like, Oh, okay. You know, okay. Yeah. So. No, I I'm familiar with her. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I work, you know, like, and, and it goes the same with uh, the, the one-on-one clients. Like I really say that I work with industry leaders in the sense that they're at the top of their game, whether they're a fashion designer. I've, I've worked with fashion designers mm-hmm. on their wardrobe, on their personal wardrobe, mm-hmm. you know, which is crazy. You think, what do you mean? But, you know, I, I it's, once again, most of my clients love fashion. They're not, not fashionable people. They don't need a makeover. They just need help defining, like they're going through a change. You know, the truth and the reality is it's a big change even for me working more with personal clients than being on a grungy TV set. I've had to rethink my wardrobe. I mean, my mm. wardrobe for years was How you show only up. t-shirt, you know, t-shirt and jeans and sneakers because yeah. you're not supposed to wear anything but boots and sneakers on a TV set, which yeah. is great. And I still would wear, you know, hopefully what was considered fashionable and more of a sure pair, but that's what I wore as I continue to work with other clients that are, you know, at a higher profile, I've had to expand my wardrobe in a different way. And so, you know, personal clients, it's so fascinating to me and in, in working with all these people, I learned so much from them too, because they're so diverse in terms of the industries that they work in. 
Yeah. But there's always something to learn. And I just, I'm a fly on the wall of these amazing, whether it's creative or business people or, you know, financial experts. I'm like, oh, tell me about that, you know? Yeah, so. totally. Um, this is so fascinating. I know, or, it, or from what I see, you kind of split your time between New York and LA-ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I imagine like to do, especially the TV type of work, that's where you have to be. You're not doing this anywhere in the world. You're doing this in yeah. New York and LA. And, and that is one of the other reasons that I was, you know, when I, back to 2019 and setting goals, I was like, I can't do this forever. Mm. A, I can't, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm a diehard New Yorker, but I love <laughs> LA. Like, I, I, you know, there's, it, it's, it's nice having the mix. I mm -hmm. have to say it goes mm. both ways. Um, but you know, it, there comes a point where I can't work a 20 hour day. I mean, my knees, <laughs> I'm at the age where after a 20 hour day, I, I'm not in the same shape as my 20 year old yeah. assistants, you know, yeah, although yeah. I can run, a, I can, I can sometimes run circles around some of my 20 year old assistants. I get really <laughs> exhausted after hour eight. I'm like, guys, we have another 10 hours to go. Wake up, get some coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So. so that TV component of it is very physically hands-on location yeah. specific and the yeah. client side, the personal clients, like, do you do all that in person or do you do some stuff, a lot of stuff remote? So it can go both ways in terms of promote, uh, promote virtual or, um, in person. Mm -hmm. I prefer to be in person with sure. my personal clients though, I have loved that I, you know, if I have a client in New York, I can have a fitting with my tailor in New York, who I know my tailor for years, and I can watch on Zoom in LA and mm. it works out. So I don't have to fly back to New mm -hmm. York. That's been the biggest godsend blessing because that I think also prevented me from really expanding this career in terms of the, ver uh, the personal styling for years, because I was like, how does this work? How do mm. I actually live in both? And how to, you know, because I am a local in both places. So, you know, if you are watching this and you want to hire me, you know, I fly myself to either of those places and I put mm. myself up. There's no expense on my mm. client's behalf. Now, if I work with a client, let's say in a different area of the country, yes, then that client is flying me there and putting me up if they need to in a hotel or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but having the luxury of zoom and being able to do things virtually is great. But I will say there's this idea that it's, it's easier. It's faster. If it's virtual wrong, it actually takes longer. It's harder to see things. I mean, there's definitely clients that I've had virtual closet edits, which I insist on before it's part of the stages of what I do when I work with um, the process of what I do. Okay. And then I, and then I, shop for them and then I physically go to their home and I see something and I'm like that's the color it did not look like that on the zoom and so I've learned you know I, I, I there yes you can do a lot and you can definitely style like I definitely um take individual pictures of clients wardrobe and so therefore I can create lookbooks and create outfits mm. for them digitally mm -hmm. I don't I could be anywhere in the world doing that which is yeah. great yeah. Um, I can be in Paris and do that, which is great. Um, but in terms of the actual styling and seeing how something fits, because even like I had referenced doing a fitting with my tailor, 
you know, I had one client and my tailor was like, Darshan, I just don't know how to communicate this, but you're not seeing it the way I'm mm. seeing it. I'm like, I'm just going to have to trust you. Okay. It was fear factor. It was a $5,000 mm. dress. And I was mm. like, okay, tailor what you're saying, but I do not see what you're seeing, you know? So yes, I can do things virtually. I prefer to do things in person and I think it goes faster. And, and I think the end result is so much better for mm. the client. So some of these like key relationships you have uh, that are very high trust factor, like with your tailor who you've worked with for a really long time, you can lean into their decision to like, you know what, let me just fix it. But if you don't have that foundation, it would be fairly impossible to do the level of styling that you're doing completely remote. So it sounds like you pretty much don't do, like you do some stuff remote at a certain point, but at some point, like there's physical in-person engagement to make sure this is all lining up correctly. Yeah. It's interesting. I just got a call, um, about a month ago, take actually only probably two weeks ago from a producer that I maintain a relationship with and Mm -hmm. she's working on a show. The show is in the Midwest. Um, the show is really the concept of it. I love, and she's got two hosts. They're based in Boston and she wanted me to prep in LA send the stuff to Boston and have virtual fittings. And for multiple reasons, it did not work out. But I have to say, and I'd never worked or met with the two people that were the hosts of the show. In so Boston, like, it yeah. would be like, you know, yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I was courting the idea and, but I set very strategic guidelines of how this would work for me. And I'm like, mm. look, if this doesn't work for you, I get it but doing something virtually, you know, because there was a little bit of, well, this will take less time. You know, you don't have to fly. And and I'm like, I, we're going to have a fitting virtually. And then they're going to fly to location and you're going to see that it doesn't fit the way that I think it fits on a Mm. virtual zoom. You need to have a really good tailor. Like that was one thing that I was like, and I don't know tailors in Boston. I actually, we did a season in Boston of Top Chef and it was a disaster. We used, we worked with multiple tailors and not one of them was anything that I would recommend. So I basically said for this, like, you've got to find a tailor and it's got to be like an amazing tailor. And you've got a budget for like a big budget tailoring job because one of the women, you know, like you can see, I, I Googled the, the women and I'm like, I don't think this person's going to walk into a size, whatever it is, and it's going to look good. And it's going to be a simple hem that any tailor could do. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be custom tailoring and there was, mm-hmm. you know, blazers involved and whatever. Um, it didn't work out because our schedules and timing didn't work, but, um, and I, I really was going to do it. I have to say the second I knew I wasn't going to do it, I was like, <sighs> because that I've been real tough. And I learned a lesson. I I think that really doing these virtual jobs is doing some people disservice. Like if that's Mm. all they can do, great. And and I think it's great. There's a lot of personal stylists, even ones that I've coached, that that's all their business is, is virtual styling. And Mm. I think that's great. But at the level that I do in Mm. terms of, you know, there's a big difference between a woman or a man, um, who, you know, goes to the office and is not, you know, the boss and just wants sure. to wear just banana to feel Republic and, yeah. and look good and have a great feel. There's a big difference between that versus the man or the woman that's walking in the room with billionaires and negotiating and needs mm-hmm. to look the part. I need their clothes to fit like, you know, like there Perfect. should not be 
anything out of line. And so, yeah. so I'm meticulous about tailoring. Tailoring is like something that I can make something from H&M look amazing with a good tailor. Ah, I love <laughs> you know, that not, trick. Not everything. I mean, the, the quality has to be sure, good. but I mean, some I'm not stuff. buying H&M for my fancy clients. Yeah, but yeah, my yeah. point is, is that the tailor is sometimes more important than the clothes. I know that sounds crazy. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's not a black and white statement. So take it with a grain of salt, but yeah, totally. Um, so many little nuances and insights that I've never thought about for this like aspect of the fashion industry. Um, so if people wanted to get started as a freelance stylist, it, it sounds pretty imperative that they're in one of these key locations, New York or LA to kind of get an internship or get some type of assistant role and then just network, build the relationships, grow like that, learn those marketing and negotiating and business skills. Is that what you would sort of, is that the path you yeah. send people down? And I will say I started essentially my career, if you will, when I was in high school at the mall, you know, that's true. I, that's true. I, yeah. I assisted. So it's not to say you have to be in New York or you have to be in LA, but you do have to get your feet and your hands dirty. You have to, you have to start styling people. And even if it's, you know, I know this is going to sound absolutely crazy, but if you want to be a personal stylist, for example, start dressing your friends, start taking your mm. friends into the mall or wherever it is mm -hmm. and seeing, how, because the thing is there is, you can learn all about the body shapes, all about proportions and vertical and horizontal and all of that. But you have no body is the same. Mm -hmm. Every body shape is so there are totally different nuances to everybody. And that includes skin tone. I mean, I, mm. I, I'm really, there's this big trend about, you know, doing your colors and I'm all about wearing colors that are good yeah, for you. I did but, mine recently. Yeah. My friends got it for me for my birthday. <laughs> but on the flip side of that, I will say I'm totally against lumping somebody into you can only wear this yeah. you can only wear that because let me tell you there's ways to wear colors that you absolutely love just not up against your face for yes, example you can wear totally. a great pant and so I think sometimes it does a disservice so my point is is that you can learn those skills but you really need to get your hands and feet wet and and I do think that no matter what niche I do think it's important to figure out what niche you enjoy working in I can't mm. tell you how many times people pursue assisting me on TV shows. And I'm like, I just want to let you know, this is real people. This is not costume design. It's, sure. it's real people. So it's more yeah. like personal styling, if you will. Um, it is TV, but it's personal styling. And I cannot tell you how many of my assistants in the union are like, oh my God, your job is so much harder than working on a scripted TV show because a scripted TV show you create characters. It's, it's a, I mean, not to say it's a oh, lot of work right. and there's, you know, a lot more people and factors, but like, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with a person. I'm not, the actor is being told what to wear. And yes, you work with the actor, but sure. I'm working with a real person. You know, this idea, I went into a fitting once um, with the person that I just worked with and we have racks of clothes. And the, the executive producer came in and was like, Darshan, to come and say hi to everybody. And she was like, why do you need all these clothes? And my client turned to her and goes, how do you think it works? It's not like she just tells me what to put on. And I just put it on and say, okay, Darshan dressed me. Yeah. Like there's opinions about it. And, and there's a personality about it. And 
the thing that's tricky about what I do on television is that a lot of times the director, the producers, they want to dictate what the, the talent is wearing. And I'm like, these are real people. You can mm. tell me to make them sexier. And I've had literally that comment mm. um, about somebody years ago on a show. And, and I was like, this woman is a millionaire who owns a huge company. And her brand is about like, it, it, it's not a sexy company. I mean, yeah. she's a beautiful woman, but like, she's never going to be you know, breasts out and she this is not, like, not yeah. her image and her brand of her not company. a character. And she's yeah. representing her company when she gets in front of the camera. So mm. knowing what you want to do in terms of the niche of work that you want to work on and that's mm. why it's so good to assist. Because I can't once again, so many people want to assist me and then they get with me and they work on a show and they're like, oh, this is totally different than what mm. I thought. This is you know, this is more personal styling and, and fashion styling as opposed to creating a costume and a character. And then same with, you know, like uh, commercials is very different than print. What you're doing when the clothes are moving on camera versus mm. a still shot, it's mm-hmm. totally two different worlds. It's not to say you can't do both, but I can't tell you how many times I've worked on TV shows where a celebrity is brought in as a guest and they hired a, a fashion editorial stylist who, you know, does the pages of, you know, I'm not saying Vogue, but but Vogue, something, a magazine. And yeah. puts the client, the celebrity into something and they show up on my set and I'm the costume designer in charge of everybody's look. And the outfit looks like a blob on camera because TV work and what works yeah. on TV is so different than what works on a fashion editorial. It might be the most amazing and unbelievable thing but somebody in in the middle of America watching the tv show has no idea what designer it is has no idea where it came from they're just looking at it going why is that woman wearing a potato sack you know what I mean so so getting context yeah and and understanding what you want to pursue and then pursuing it and yes if you want fashion a lot of it is based in New York and LA but you know there's markets everywhere Truly, that's true. That's true. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I could listen to you like talk about the nuances of this for days. It's so interesting to me. Um, Like I said, I've done a little bit of print stuff in my day back when I designed and I would do photo shoots and like print catalogs for the brands and that sort of thing. But that was the end of it. I've never done any video or any like TV stuff and so many little nuances. It's wild to think about. Um, so just getting your, your feet wet. And that might be like you said, just with your friends or even going to your local mall and seeing if they have anything going on and how you can get started um, behind the scenes on something like that. It doesn't have to be this big undertaking in New York or LA. And and I, I appreciate that reminder because I, I do talk about freelancing. I talk about how you can work and do this anywhere. I think there's some some nuances to styling that change that a little bit compared to a lot of fashion designers or technical designers can do everything completely remote. Um, But it's a good reminder that you're right. There are markets everywhere and things to shoot everywhere too. Not everybody's shooting at a studio in New York or LA. Like you just said something in the Midwest or sometimes they go on location. It just reminded me that, you know, look in your local market if you're in chicago for example or washington mm. dc or miami there's mm-hmm. agencies there that rep stylists mm. see if you can get on their roster to assist 
that's really how, because the truth is, no one's going to cold call you. If you're at home and you mm-hmm. want to be a stylist, I mean, the likelihood of somebody <laughs> finding you, if you're in, you know, Herndon, Virginia, which is where I grew up, it, it's far and few between, you know, yeah. it's, you know, so get on, that goes back to networking. That goes mm-hmm. back to like knocking on every single door. And yeah, no one might call you for six months a year, but you will get a call at some point if you, mm-hmm. if you're professional about it and you present yourself in a way that really is, you know, and the other thing, I'm just going to throw this out there because I think it needs to be said. I think so many people I found in a a younger generation, they just want to jump in and actually be the stylist. They want to be at the top of the game. And while I do believe that you can start, you know, I, I, I was really afforded some crazy opportunities at a very young age. My, my career took some crazy blessings and I can't say it was all me. Um, and it was at a different time when there wasn't as much competition. I will mm-hmm. also say that. Yeah. Um, but I think that one thing that I always did, and I think it's important is once I realized, Oh my God, I need to, I need some skills. I need to assist. I think it's so important to really humble yourself and realize you don't need to be a stylist this year you can assist and I will also say this with that said a lot of my assistants will work every single day of the year as opposed to some of my stylist friends myself included they don't work year-round and the reason is because a stylist has a, a team so there's a lot of people that can be working and you can go from job to job and assist other people whereas for me it's just me I'm only hired for that job. I'm not, you know, and, and there has been actually um, during COVID, I was like, you know what? I don't care. I want to work. I need to make money and pay the bills. And I assisted a couple of my friends uh, on some really big, really big jobs. And I have to say the day rates for assisting were like crazy high day rates. So it was like, of course, I'll assist yes, you. Yes, please. That's pretty much, <laughs> that's pretty, that's great pay. But my point is, I, I've been doing this for 25 years and I assisted two years ago for a couple of days because you know what? A, I wanted to keep busy. B, I wanted some money. And you know what? I was like, I've never done it. It was a very specific genre that I had never done. And it was more costumey stuff, which not my favorite niche, but I actually love going into the costume houses. It's it's fun when I don't have the pressure to create uh, (laughs) and I'm assisting somebody and I'm collecting everything. Yeah. Uh, And I went, buck wild for you know actually it was about two weeks and I created all these costumes and pulled all this stuff that was totally wild do I want to do that as a career absolutely not it was so much work and not what it had nothing to do with fashion and that's not what I want to do my point is I learned a lot um I don't know if I learned a lot but I learned some things you know and Uh, and I think it's important to be humble and say, I, I need to assist and learn the skills because the more you learn and it's usually the assistants that move up into the, the lead role, you know, that somebody sees them along the way and don't step on people's toes to get there. Sure. But when you're nice and you do hard work, I, I can say that my motto, when I assisted back in the day, it wasn't about me. It was, I was there to make the person I was assisting look good. Mm. And I think that really stood out because there's so many assistants now, especially with social media, they're on their cameras. And I'm like, Mm. excuse me, we're here to work. Like, I need you to be present and work, you know, and there's a time and a place for that. 
but my point is the ones that really hustle, the ones that really do the job, those are the ones that stand out to me. And I'm like, when I get a call and I'm not available because I referred I'm passing it to all you. those past jobs the yeah. last few months that I wasn't able to do to assistants that, you know, I have a woman that totally. works with me and she does some of her own personal clients and commercials and she's amazing. Yeah. And she's her career, you know, and she, I think she's in her late twenties and she's unbelievable. And you know what? She's the first person I recommend for anything mm. because she did a, such an amazing job working with me on my team and it's a team effort. So yeah. So dear listener, make friends with Darshan and do a kick-ass job. (laughs) Um, Lovely. This has been fascinating and so inspiring to hear about your career and all the different angles and components that go into this type of role. Um, I learned so much. I don't know anything about the, I really don't know anything about the styling side of this. Um, Where can people find you and connect with you online? Yeah, um, well, my everything is my name, which is a little hard. It's Darshan Gress. So it's uh, D-A-R-S-H-A-N-G-R-E-S-S. You can definitely find me on Instagram. Uh, if you want to stay in touch with me, you can send me a DM uh, and I will send you a link. Uh, you can put the word news, N-E-W-S, in a comment or in a DM, and I will send you a link to add you to my newsletter list. Uh, So we can stay in touch and you can get updates. Uh, I also, if there's anybody out there, I do offer uh, consultations to up and coming stylists. So if that's something that you want to hop on a Zoom and get some career advice, it's it's probably something that I'm enjoying more than anything right now because I love, I mean, talking about all of it. So happy to help any of you out there. Okay, awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes. And I will end with a question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview. And that is, what is one thing you wish people asked you about working in the fashion industry as a freelancer that they never do? Oh, what is one thing? Um, gosh, you've got me stumped. What is one thing that they don't ask me about freelancing? Is that what Yeah, like, so... The way I always kind of put it into some different context is like you go out for drinks or coffee with friends and they always ask you about this and this and this about freelancing as a stylist. And they never are asking you about this thing. Like, what is the thing that you wish people would ask you about that you kind of want to like nerd out on? Um, But that is not usually the question that comes up. I mean, honestly, I feel like this conversation was my nerding out. Like I love (laughs) talking business and um, really helping people grow their business and their success. Like I always say that style and success go hand in hand. That's sort of my motto in terms of styling because the people that I work with, like I want to know who they are and that how that translates visually with their wardrobe. But I believe that it leads to their success because it's like putting on armor. It's putting on, you know, they step into this role and they see themselves. And so when people ask me, what's the latest trend? I understand why people are asking (laughs) that, but to me, it's almost irrelevant because I don't know you yet. Or, Mm. you know, I mean, if it's a friend, I do know them, but I think that's the number one question I do get asked is Mm. what are the latest trends or where do you shop? Um, And I understand why, but I don't, I think that's a band-aid on the problem. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's more about when somebody, if somebody were to ask me, what should I do to create my personal style? That would excite me because that would lead the conversation to, well, who do you want to be? And mm-hmm. that would lead to talking about their success and how their wardrobe relates to that. 
Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic advice. Um, and sometimes you're shopping at H&M just using a really great tailor. <laughs> I, you know what? And I'm the queen of vintage and thrift shopping. I absolutely Oh, love I love that. thrifting. Yes. Yes. I love getting secondhand stuff. Um, yeah. Fabulous, Darshan. It was really, really lovely to have you. Thank you so much for sharing all your Thank expertise you. and your, your precious time with us. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Fashion Designers Get Paid podcast. If this episode inspired you in any way to get out of the mass-produced rat race and get your fashion career out of the hands of toxic corporate bosses, just like one of my students did, Alexandra, who makes more money in one day of freelancing than she did in two weeks at her old industry job. Yes, true story. I'd love to help you take control of your own destiny as a freelance fashion designer or TD, PD, pattern maker, etc. Get instant access to my free limited time training at soheidi.com slash freelance. We'll link it up in the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. We release new episodes every Monday to help inspire you for or help you get through the week ahead. You got this? Me and my team are rooting for you.